November of 1963, the longest-running science fiction series first aired and took the world by storm. Since that date, this television program has continued in multiple comic books. The goal of this podcast is to review these comic... Welcome to Doctor Who Comic Book Review. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken and Rachel. And again, just to remind everybody, this really is Star Trek Comic Book Review, even though we really like replaying that Doctor Who comic book review opening. Sorry. Uh, Episode number 145, recorded November 9th, 2013. And it's our second of the Star Trek Next Generation Doctor Who crossover. So Rachel is uh, joining us today. Hello. Welcome, Rachel. A big fan of Doctor Who, I understand. I am. And Star Trek The Next Generation. And Star Trek The Next Generation. Grew up on both of them. Excellent. Who's your favorite doctor? (laughs) Tom Baker. So I had heard. (laughs) Very nice. I'm a big fan of Matt Smith as well, but uh, Tom Baker is my... He's my doctor. (laughs) There you go. And everybody who's a fan does have a favorite doctor. Yeah. Right. Very cool. do you distinguish between classic doctors or and then modern doctors, or they all run together for you? To me, I I think it it runs together. I mean, yes, there was a break in time when I had no doctor, but yeah, I I think I connect both the series. Okay, me too. Yeah. In case you're wondering, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah. And then uh, Star Trek. You like Star Trek: The Next Generation, but. Do you follow the other Star Trek franchises? (laughs) Star Trek The Next Generation is definitely my favorite of the Star Trek franchises. Uh, I have watched most of the other ones, and the original series definitely being the the least I have watched, but I have seen a few episodes. Another young pup. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't like the Shat? Uh, the original series was never my favorite. I mean, I, again, I kind of grew up on it. My dad was a big fan. We watched it, but I never loved it. And then when we started watching Next Generation, that's when I fell in love with Star Trek. So, so what was it you didn't like? The bad acting? The, uh, oh, <laughs> the that, bad special effects? That. But you're going to... Uh, I know, but I love I Doctor think... Who, and I did recognize at the time that the acting was bad, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, a lot of it was the blinking light buttons for some reason bothered me on the original series. The, the computers that looked dated even at the time. I mean, it just... <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you take a look at any other, other TV show on the time period, oh, yeah. uh, that's how they depicted it. Right. And, it's, and, it's all, and that's the thing. It's, it's all about nostalgia. I mean, you can look... Yeah. You know, we look back at the Star Wars movies, and we love them, and they're so great, but, you know, I know my kids are going to look at that and be like, really? <laughs> That's so dated. <laughs> right. Now, and one thing that I'll say that Taz had over all the other series, one thing it had is the great relationship between the terrific trio, Kirk, <laughs> Spock, McCoy, and... That relationship, the interplay of those characters together, uh, has not been topped, in my opinion, in any of the other incarnations. Mm. So, but that's that's the one thing that is their ace in the hole, I believe. 
Right. And when uh, they I prefer okay. Picard more than any of the other captains. Yes. Clearly. Superior. However, <laughs> I still but, don't think there's a relationship that no. that matches the original terrific trio. Right, not on Picard's side because he always he had a wall. Which to be fair, as a captain, you probably should. Right. <laughs> hmm. Anything to now, say, Data dog? and Jordy was probably the BFF relationship of the... <laughs> right. And then you threw in Pulaski, and, sh- and you oh. suddenly had the trio. No. No. <laughs> no. A cantankerous, no. No, older no, no, no. generation with, with two young guys. Yeah, no. No? No. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I agree with you, Ken. And, and uh, I, I like the movies, especially, you know, some of the... Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 interplay between the three of them. Uh, especially 3 when you really get McCoy and Spock having to come to terms with their love-hate relationship that they've always had. Right. You know, Because they're in the same body. But uh, <laughs> I agree with you on that one, Ken. And I'll Great give fun. you that the original series movies are better than the Next Generation movies. But that's because the Next Generation movies are terrible. Oh. Oh, they're terrible. Oh, oh, come on. First content? Oh. That wasn't Fury, terrible. Fury invoking terrible. <laughs> oh, boy. Oof. 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 There you go. First contact? Ah, I don't like first contact. I know you do. I, I just, I'm, I, I like, I hate it less than I originally did when I first saw it, but I still don't like it. I still don't think it fits. And I know, you know, you can pretty much do anything when you have the magic reset button of the next generation, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They do that a lot. Kind of spit on a lot of the Ooh, spit on. TV series. That's what I, That's how I felt. Well, I thought though. the first next, <laughs> first contact was not that bad. It was. I see. Not that bad. Generate, <laughs> I'll give you not that bad. Generations had the you know data being a coward and right. oh, lore so being an, or not lore before being in nemesis and I agree with all the other ones except first contact. <laughs> I think that one is Which one the has gold a joystick standard. to control the plane? That's that's insurrection. Yeah, that was that the one that read. That was the one that made me maddest. <laughs> <laughs> that, was the worst. that one had data as the flotation device and oh, it had not, so many, so. not being hip enough on the human language to understand that men's breasts don't feel perky. Right. Just for comedic effect. He asked for. Oh, there was Have so you many. noticed your breasts feel more perky? Oh, so oh it's so bad. Data, you should know better. <laughs> you know, I was worried that Rachel, you wouldn't be forthright enough with your opinions. I <laughs> that fear is gone. That fear is gone. Anyway, should we get back to the yeah, doctor? Now to the actual point. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're doing uh, issue number three of Assimilation Squared, right? So continuing the story of how will uh, the doctor. And uh, the next-gen gang get out of this terrible fix they're in with the Cybermen and Borg Alliance. And don't forget about special guest stars. Oh, yes. So, uh, I get to do the first one for today, which is issue number three. And this published date was July 2012. We have the creative team of Scott and David Tipton with Tony Lee on the scripts. Artists, J.K. Woodward... Lettering, Sean Lee and Robbie Robbins. Editor is Denton J. Tipton. The regular cover is very cool and features Kirk, 
with his phaser drawn and ready to fire, but unfortunately, a classic Cyberman has him by a headlock from behind. More Cybermen are heading his way. Spock and the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, are coming up behind the Cybermen holding Kirk. In the far background is the TARDIS, and I would like to think the Galileo 7 shuttlecraft, although you can't really tell the name. Cover B is a nice drawing of Amy, Rory, and the Doctor's heads with a colorful starburst behind them, kind of like some of the uh, movie posters we saw of Star Trek. Beneath them is a countless legion of cybernetic threats to the entire galaxy. The uh, R.I. cover is a black and white version of the of the second cover, the B cover. The issue opens with a full-page drawing of a rather small Enterprise D facing a horde of huge Borg and Cybermen ships. They are clearly in trouble. On the bridge, data reports they have detected the Enterprise's arrival, and they are moving to intercept. They start taking heavy fire from multiple enemy ships. Recognizing they can't hope to fight this armada, Picard gives Data the order to get them out of there at best speed. Riker asks, who is that with the Borg? The Doctor explains, they are the Cybermen, and they are at least as dangerous as the Borg. The Doctor suggests they have to get away from them and figure out what they are up to. Picard observes it is not like the Borg to cooperate with anyone. Data reports that at present speed, the pursuing ships will overtake them in 17 minutes. Picard asks Data to get them into any kind of cover he can find to buy them more time. Data reports the Peyertes Nebula is nearby. Setting course. Later inside the Nebula, Picard and the others observe the Armada are not following them in. They have some time. They discuss the situation. The Doctor says that despite his suspicious arrival... The doctor is trying to help. He is always trying to help. It's what he does. Picard asks him to start by describing the Cybermen. The doctor describes them as ruthless, unrelenting, and devoted to survival through conquest. Picard sees the Cybermen's similarities with the Borg and does not like it. Data searches the ship's database for any references to the Cybermen. He finds a very old image and description of the Cybermen by James T. Kirk of the original Enterprise. There is also a reference, an image of someone named the Doctor, but he looks nothing like the Doctor that stands before them. The Doctor begins to shake violently, as if in extreme pain. He is recalling the incident so long ago. He did indeed look different then. There were other Starfleet personnel there, too. Kirk is recording a log entry as he, Spock, McCoy, and Mr. Scott arrive in a shuttlecraft at Aprilia 3, where a long-abandoned relay station stands built by an unknown race. The Federation archaeology team that has been studying the site for several months has gone silent. Kirk's mission is to investigate their disappearance. They are accosted by Professor Jefferson Whitmore, the project manager for the facility. He acts surprised about their messages not getting out, but since it's a bug, they thought they worked out. He blames it on the radiation belt around the planet that also prevents normal transporter activity. Whitmore invites them inside to the main building to be introduced to the rest. Kirk and Scotty are suspicious and on guard. They complete the tour and even meet a lovely researcher named Dr. Paula Zarlenga. 
Many others are working in the building. The scene presented is as normal appearing as Whitmore can manage, but when the landing party exits the building, they are not convinced. The researchers were too efficient, too unemotional to be normal. They stay until evening and return to the building. They try to get into the building through a back entrance, but the lock is unfamiliar to Scotty and rebuffs his attempts to open it. Suddenly, a resonant, friendly voice can be heard from behind saying, Hello, can I be of assistance? The oddly dressed newcomer, with a long, colorful scarf, doffs his hat and introduces himself as the doctor. McCoy asks if he is part of the research team, to which the doctor says he's only just arrived and that he thinks he could help if given a chance. Scotty's all for it since he is getting nowhere with the lock. The doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to open it quickly and offers some jelly babies to the landing party. As they make their way through the darkened facility halls, Kirk tells of the facility workers acting strangely. In answer to the doctor asking for more details, they come upon the workers who are just standing motionless with their heads cocked to the left. The doctor agrees and calls it quite disconcerting. They try to get the attention of Dr. Whitmore and Dr. Zarlinga, but they just stand there like mannequins. McCoy finds devices in their ears that might be the cause of their, quote, shutdown. When he removes one of the devices, the researcher begins to come to. Kirk orders them to get the rest of the devices out of the people so they can get them out of here. Unfortunately, a door opens, and on the other side stands three silver-colored robot-looking figures. The doctor calls them Cybermen, and is able to use his sonic screwdriver to shut the door. In no time at all, one of the Cybermen smashes through the door and lunges for Kirk. He grabs Kirk's phaser out of his hand and commences Indian wrestling Kirk like I used to do with Jimmy Lipinski back in Chicago when I was a kid in the hood. The other two Cybermen move quickly forward, knocking the doctor to the side. McCoy gets the researchers out another door to the outside while Spock and Scotty fire their phasers at the oncoming cyborgs. The first shots fail to stop them, but after they crank up the phaser setting to maximum, the Cybermen are disintegrated. Meanwhile, Kirk is continuing to fight the original Cybermen hand-to-hand. Now remember, this is the same Cybermen that just broke through a metal door like it was paper a few minutes ago. After Kirk lands a few blows that appear to actually have an effect, the Cybermen picks up Kirk and throws him at a wall. The doctor asks Kirk if he has any gold on his person, to which Kirk hands over his communicator that has a golden antenna cover. The doctor starts working on the device and asks Kirk to distract the Cybermen. Kirk obliges and executes a near-horizontal two-footed kick using his full weight into the Cybermen's torso. A very Kirkian move indeed. By the time the Cyberman gets back up, the Doctor is able to throw gold dust into the Cyberman's face. The death-dealing machine is slowed down long enough for Spock to advance on it and disintegrate it with his phaser. The fight is over. No more Cybermen show up. So the Doctor runs back to the TARDIS, unseen, and with no thanks needed. After sweeping the facility and finding no more Cybermen, the undamaged facility is turned back over to the researchers. 
Kirk makes arrangements to have a garrison of security personnel stationed at the facility, just in case. While looking over the alien transmission facilities with Dr. Zarlenga, Scotty makes a comment that they are lucky they were able to stop those mechanical clankers before they could make use of the sophisticated alien communications device. The narrative snaps back to the bridge of the Enterprise-D. The Eleventh Doctor is back to normal and says he was there on Aprilla 3 during the, that previous Cyberman attack. Data says he is not in the record. The Doctor says he was the chap in the scarf. He looks different now. Picard and Riker points out that he could not have been the Doctor back then, a hundred years ago, but the Doctor brushes their confusion aside and says, with his new information, they are in more danger than ever. Worf reports their pursuers have left the area. The Doctor says it's not like the Cybermen to just give up like that, so they must be on to more important things. Picard says this gives them time to get some answers. He goes on to say if everything the Doctor says is true, then they need to talk to someone else. They go to 10 forward where they find Guinan tending her bar. To be continued. So, what do you think? I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Your two favorite doctors in the same place. I know. It's awesome. Two favorite doctors and the next generation. I mean, you can't go wrong there. It's like we yeah. tailored this episode to be the one you guest starred on. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you planned it or something, Donovan. <laughs> so, anyways, I thought this was good. Um, I, I In your synopsis, you missed out on the best joke in the whole thing. I'm sure. About the hundred years. And the doctor oh, right, says, right, right. don't be ridiculous. I'm nowhere near 100. You're totally taking yes. my... Because I've yes. already pointed this out to Donovan that they make a big deal that he's he can't be over 100 years old. I mean, they don't know anybody like that. Would you like to meet Guinan? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, it's, and they've met other creatures that are, are long-lived also. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Spock himself, how the, heck, how the heck old is he by this point? Right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but he looks it. Yeah, but he I does mean, look it. To me, somebody appears on your ship, ha- has all this knowledge of past and future. I'd be going, Q, is that you? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but they've never even said intruder alert when he appeared. It was kind of <laughs> just accepted. Oh, there's somebody on our ship. <laughs> well, at least Picard was a little perturbed and like, saying, hey, how'd you get on here? Sure. So, and then Worf was called for security. But yeah, you're right. They they accept the fact that the uh, three three intruders are on the ship with without right. too much trouble. Which which to be fair happens in Doctor Who all the time. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Automatically. The Doctor pop, Exactly. They pop up on submarines. They pop up in space stations. <laughs> yes. You know. Oh, you're here to help us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he never even had to resort to the psychic paper. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm part of the Federation. Here you go. <laughs> that doesn't look like one of our uniforms. <laughs> so in regards to him popping up, nobody's mentioned in these books that the holodeck is by, what offline right now because there's a TARDIS in the middle of it. So, it's, you know, little kids want to take their little field trip to <laughs> right. the holodeck and, oh, can't. There's a big TARDIS in the middle. Well, they just have the little sign on the door that says out of order. Oh, man. Well, they can run a program in the holodeck. They just can't get rid of the the blue box in the middle of it. They just go to holodeck, too. Uh, exactly. They got more than one. Come on. 
I don't know if you read this one, but when Mar- when DC first started doing Next Generation comic books, they did a Christmas episode or issue. It- it's horrible. But <laughs> in it, they go to several different holodecks in that story, and each one's doing like their whatever species Christmas rituals and stuff. So there was one that was like the North Pole. There was one where it was all these weird acrobatic people. I mean, and it was just like, it was really hard to buy that there was this many holodecks and that each one was this big extravagant Christmas thing. You remember that, right, Ken? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, then they had to fight the Grinch. Oh, of course. <laughs> oh, that was horrible. <laughs> but then they were saved by Santa Claus. Well, who else? Exactly. <laughs> now, now, mind you, in their defense, they didn't actually call the Grinch the Grinch, but you could tell he was the Grinch. Right. Yeah. He looked like the Grinch. He's the alien that humans have written the story the Grinch about. Oh, wow. She's trying to justify it. <laughs> this sounds like one of your deals, Donovan, quite frankly. I don't know. It sounds like a Star Trek deal to me. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Back to this issue. All right. So we got the big Kirk crossover. Which is beautiful. And a dramatic change in artwork. So what did everybody think about that? I thought it looked good, except that the first time, well, the, I think it's, I think it's the second time you see Kirk. But on the bottom of page eight, I think the drawing of Kirk's face is horrible. I think it's inaccurate. I mean, you could tell it's Kirk, but looking at it, it just isn't. It is just isn't right. But doesn't that add to the charm because it's supposed to be retro and back in the older comics? You didn't always have consistent artwork. <laughs> ooh. Oh, ooh, wow! You know, I mean, to me that that's... that is a stretch. <laughs> But that's maybe, maybe. <laughs> Entirely intentional, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, man. Yeah, he looks like Captain Pouty, Pouty Face. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know what I don't know what tanning salon he's been at, but he's uh, he's got a tan going there. <laughs> a little orange. He's doing yeah. a Zoolander impression. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Zoolander, wow. That was a classic film. <laughs> yeah. Cinematic landmark. Absolutely. It had a Mugatu in it, so it does have the Star Trek uh, references. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, well, you know, I mean, he's a huge Star Trek fan, so. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, who else would put a recreation of uh, of the Amok Time uh, fight scene in as they did with Pack? Cable Guy? Mm-hmm. And he was the director for that, right? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I don't think he's directed anything in a long time, but he kind of that's where he kind of got his start is writing and directing. Right. Now he doesn't have to do that kind of stuff. He's an actor. <sighs> exactly. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that uh, it seemed to me in this scene, this little flashback, the uh, original series crew was pretty much just distraction for the Cybermen while the Doctor took care of things. <laughs> I mean, they, could, they couldn't even get in the door. He had to unlock the door for him. Right. Yeah, but who takes care of him in the end? <laughs> I, phasers, baby. Phasers. Gold. <laughs> no, that was such garbage. <laughs> so he blows the, 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 the dust in the, in the Cyberman's face. He's like, oh, I'm allergic to gold. Right. Uh, and then Spock has to come up and zap him. Right. So. Well, and, that, and well, that was part of the, the old Doctor Who. Oh, completely the, agree. Yeah. 
So, yeah, and, and, and it is funny because all I can think is, well, you know, now they have their problem solved. All they do, all they have to do is contact the Ferengi, get some gold, you know, all that worthless <laughs> material they use to, to press latinum with. And right. <laughs> they just launch a gold dust into space and kill all the suffering. <laughs> have you been reading ahead? <laughs> <laughs> That's a viable option. Yeah. <laughs> I do think he answers that later on that uh, Cybermen maybe don't have the same parts that they did back then. Oh, really? Because in this, it implies they have lungs. Later on, he mentions that they're only brains with cybernetic power. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought they were always supposed to be like that. Or right. were they well, originally supposed know. to be more like the Borg and just special effects didn't show it? Right, but he, but they specifically say that they breathe in the gold dust. They have lungs. What? Or they breathe? Yep. Those it's things. Res- <laughs> it's a respiratory issue. Right. So he says the doctor the brain, says the brain would still need oxygen of some sort True. to function. I mean, any type of biological organ from a human would still need oxygen one sure. way or the other. Yeah. Anyways, it was a weakness that the old Cybermen always had, and it was their kryptonite. Exactly, <laughs> and I think it was a great harken back to uh, classical yeah. Doc Who days. Now, in the old shows, I only remember the Doctor actually physically using gold on one Cyberman when, when what was it, Adric died? That the fifth Doctor jumped on the back of a Cyberman and just started rubbing gold all over his chest and died. <laughs> right. And I was thinking, I, at the time, I was like, well, that must be the only time the Doctor you know, in, in his own reactions, killed somebody. But in the old show, but well, is that true? Because I haven't watched. I think William Hartnell was a little more violent than some of the later doctors. <laughs> some of the ones he's he's he seemed to have more of a temper. <laughs> he's cranky. Oh, yeah, man. yeah he's he's a, he was a cranky man. old man. So, so he's a lot like nine. So you don't like either one. Ah, it never been my favorite, but you know, <laughs> and part of that's why because I feel like. And it's it's ironic because William Hartnell is the first Doctor, and that that is his personality at the very beginning. But I always feel like at the, his core, the Doctor, you know, has that respect for all life, whatever they are. Even if they're coming at him, he's going to do everything he can to resolve things peacefully or without death on either side, yeah. if he can. Not yeah, that right. he's you know, right. hold himself to it. I also think it's funny, you know, I think it's interesting having a Doctor Who Star Trek crossover because you have Star Trek that has the prime directive and the Doctor's entire reason for doing what he does is because the Time Lords had a prime directive <laughs> that we don't get involved, we just kind of watch things, but we don't mess with the timeline, we don't change it. And the Doctor went out and said, no, that's crap. <laughs> and he went out and started messing with the timeline. So, I just think it's funny Sweet. now he's teamed up with a... <laughs> so you're saying one group follows the rules to the letter. Right. And, and unless they need to bend it, which right. is almost every episode. Right, absolutely. And the other, <laughs> the other one goes out of his way to make sure that he's always breaking the rules. Absolutely. I mean, he came from a group that was very specific on, no, we, we don't get involved. We can watch it unfold, but we don't change things and he said no if I can change things for the better I'm going to change things for the better I'm going to get involved huh. so I hadn't thought about that but you're right I thought 
Good point. <laughs> and on me personally, I'm on the doctor's side on that one. I think that to say, oh, you know, everything should unfold naturally, even though we can help somebody, is just, well, then you just should never help anybody. You gotta help them when something else is interfering. Well, no, you have certain rules that, oh, if they've already discovered warp, then we can help them. <laughs> <laughs> then we can cure them of disease, we can give them whatever technology helps them, but they have to have discovered warp first. Otherwise, let them die. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Which, very frequently, in the end, they can talk as much as they want to, but... They're constantly de- uh, de- de- yeah. deflecting meteors and right. all this other stuff. I mean, that's like yeah, and, every and fifth episode. So exactly, yeah, they constantly do, and and you know, Picard's very good at talking himself around the prime directive. Oh, we are still following the prime directive, but if we do it this way, we can still do it and follow the prime directive, which <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge, is very much a stretch. Yes, <laughs> which is one of the things I like about Into Darkness when. Kirk and Spock stop the volcano and you know you're watching that scene going even stopping the volcano is prime directive mistake not just being seen by the primitives right. and then Pike calls them on it what were you even doing there it's yeah. against the prime directive and I, and I really like that part that, uh, that they acknowledge that yes they shouldn't have even stopped the volcano if they were going to follow the letter exactly. to the, the, the exact letter because of the you'll law. you'll you know, influence the people that would have all been wiped out by the volcano. <laughs> It'd be better if they were all dead. <laughs> and the other thing is, if you look far enough into the future from that day, eventually the pressure that's built up in right. that volcano is going to blow. So absolutely. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have like used your transporters or something to move the people. Absolutely. You know, maybe you should have moved the people. Yeah. Because that yeah. volcano is going to go eventually. Insurrection anyway. style? That, yeah. <laughs> they Maybe. Already did, they already did that. It didn't work well for them either. Well, but they were trying <laughs> to steal just, the... They're trying to steal the planet, though. Just, they're just trying to move these people to a different part of the planet that doesn't have a volcano next to them. But. And they won't notice? Like, well, well, I don't care if they notice or not. I was in the hut yesterday. <laughs> there was a volcano out here. But you just Today it's gone. <laughs> what I'm saying is, if you want to save the people, right, right. if you're going to break the rules anyway... Yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. So what I want to know is, why is it that every time a hero fights an opponent who is clearly stronger than himself, yes. they end up throwing the hero like a rag doll into something? Yes. Without know. really injuring them. Exactly. When they could just walk up to them and like snap them like a twig. Right. So right. I want to know that. I mean, the Terminator, <laughs> when he's throwing the stupid boyfriend around and the the girlfriend's still listening to her iPod or whatever. Yes. Uh, Arnold, you know, honored at the end of uh, Predator when they were fighting in the swamp. It's like, you know, it's like you could go on and on with this stuff. It's like it just gets kind of ridiculous. Well, at least they'd kind of do it right in Batman with uh, Bane. <laughs> Batman no, doesn't. Yeah. Batman does not get back up after that one. Which... No, what, no. Exactly. So they did it the right way. I completely agree. Bane just goes up and breaks his back. There you go. Although, if you really want to take care of somebody, which, in Bane's case, he didn't want to kill him, so right. that made sense. Right. But, I mean, here's the Cyberman with his hands around Kirk's neck. I mean, snap, snap his neck. It. Exactly. <laughs> Get it over with. Not, Cybermen aren't always the smartest of creatures. Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> 
Oh, I'll throw you around instead. I'll stretch this fight out as long as possible. All he really needed to do is pop one of those things in his ear and they'd be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I never did explain why they were trying to control this little outpost. Um, so well, maybe I there's a reason the why they needed the, the humans alive. True. I, assu- yeah. I assumed that the little buzz at the end from the computer was why they were trying to control it to take over that computer. Right. Because they yeah. had a long-term but plan. I'm just saying that that might have been why he didn't kill Kirk. Because they needed the organic material later. Right. Oh, that's okay. That's a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they killed Kirk. It would get rid of all organic material. <laughs> the card would never be. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm trying to justify right, yeah. <laughs> them not snapping the neck. Okay. We'll, we'll Aside from that, stand. we know that he's not going to die. Right. So what I really liked about this scene, uh, Tom Baker's uh, portrayal here, spot on. I think the Jelly yeah, Babies, I, the kind of kind of offhanded, like a well, uh, yeah, it's a key of sorts, sure. You know, just yes. kind of like deflecting every question answered to him. I thought that was great. Oh, total, total Tom Baker style. Yep, absolutely. And then the whole resolution where he doesn't necessarily kill anything himself, but he allows other people to do the killing. Reminds me a lot of the Doctor and Ace, the Seventh Doctor and Ace, where the Seventh Doctor would distract somebody, and he would let Ace blow him up with her, uh, you know, little bombs. You know, and then he would be like, oh, you shouldn't be playing with bombs, but uh, if you have one, throw it on the (laughs) Cyberman right here. (laughs) Which, I mean, because he totally has no problem with Spock and uh, um, Scotty destroying those other two Cybermen, and then he and Kirk or messing around with the other one. So uh, Oh, well, I mean, it's classic unit. I mean, he goes in and he gets the military to do all the work, but he tells them what to do. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Good point. <laughs> so that's kind of his M.O. <laughs> I, I will say one minor point where they've got uh, the Tom Baker doctor a little off. So okay. on page the middle of page 12, when they're walking down the hall, they... They depict, they've drawn Tom Baker as being, I'd say, even maybe shorter than Kirk, which obviously is not true. Tom Baker's a really tall guy, and the Shat's kind of, you know, medium to short. I had the exact same comment. I I mentioned it earlier offline. uh, Yeah, I was trying to tell if he's just, if they're trying to show perspective and he's that much further ahead of them. Further ahead? He's ahead of everybody, but he still looks. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's out. In, he's clearly in front of everybody, but right, right. so that's even more so. Yeah. yeah, so McCoy, who's behind him, looks much taller than him. So if he's behind him and right. he looks taller than him, then that must he mean should... he's yeah quite it's a bit taller odd. than him. It, it's it's not a very good depiction. Yeah, maybe, maybe they just needed just stooped over. He's needed kind of more room for <laughs> needed more room for word balloons. Word right. balloons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Right. Yep. And the fight scene with Kirk and uh, the Cybermen, you know, everything you mentioned about it is true, but it's so in line with the original show with Kirk doing that ridiculous, like, hammer punch thing. And then he does the two-foot... The two-foot kick. Yeah. (laughs) I call that the Kirk kick. He has to push this roll behind, or he'd probably be rolling around a little bit. Yeah, it, it it was completely in, in alignment with the characteristics of, of both shows. So yeah, that's absolutely. great. I, I love that part. Yeah. It's just that the original shows weren't always reasonable. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, for instance, if considering the number of times uh, the Doctor comes up against the Cybermen 
And considering how he carries like everything else in that huge coat of his, Tom Baker, you would think that he'd have a bag of gold on him or something. You, you would <laughs> totally think so. And, and and again, that seems to always be the case. Does anybody have any gold? I mean, come on. Carry a bag of gold flex. I mean, exactly. That's... Think ahead a little bit. Come on, Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, he must wise up because in the Eighth Doctor movie, when the Master's going through the TARDIS, yeah. he opens up a, a little box and it's just filled with gold, gold oh. dust. Oh. And he has, he has the little. Well, the... and that's the problem. He leaves it on the TARDIS. He's <laughs> carrying it on himself. <laughs> Wait, hang on, Cyberman. Let me run back for a box. I just left something. Yeah, yeah. good point. You should also carry something to cover the Dalek's eyeball. Stock. The eye stock. Oh, like right. Just a bunch of tube socks. <laughs> just a little, little yeah. <laughs> Now hold on. This Problem is hard solved. to get on. Just stay still. <laughs> but yeah, I was really happy when I saw the Jelly Baby reference. That just made me Yeah, nervous. that's great. <laughs> but, but the thing is, the Jelly Babies, I didn't realize that they're in the shape of babies. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they're basically Which, gummy bears. Yeah, they're, well, they're yeah exactly. Like well, I agree. Kids. Sour Patch Kids. There you go. But they're actually in the shape of babies. Yes. <laughs> Somebody, that's just not right. Yeah. When I was in the UK, I had to bring back a bunch of bags of Jelly Babies because you know they sell them there in the in the convenience store. So you uh-huh. just buy a bag of Jelly Babies. They were great. They're absolutely horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they taste terrible. <laughs> but I've eaten many. <laughs> I worked in the UK for like nine months, a long time ago, and it's like I didn't even think of getting jelly babies. <laughs> no, dang. Yeah. yeah, it was funny listening to Spot talk about them because I knew that there was some sort of powder on them, but I never quite knew what it was dusted with. I kind of was powdered sugar, some sort of whatever, and then Spot tells me here that it was starch. Ah, and I'm like, it was starch. Now I know. <laughs> I feel, I feel like I can go to my. Uh, Go to my death, knowing that I had, I know all things I need to. I, I also think it's the most brilliant product placement ever. So, <laughs> <laughs> Jelly Babies must love this advertisement. Right. <laughs> you can also buy them on Amazon.com. <laughs> oh, oh, there you go. Good idea. That's funny. I, I have one last comment, if I may. Okay. Which I think the building that's supposed to be an alien uh, installation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on page eight, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really look that alien. I mean, it looks like pretty standard kind of columns, you know, inside. I, I, I've seen columns like that inside buildings. Yeah. And then from the outside, it doesn't look all that unusual either. I mean, the doorways are rectangular like you'd expect in any human uh, building. And that, it just doesn't look... I mean, they could have done... I think they could have done something to make it look a little bit more alien. Now remember, they're working off a 1960s budget here. <laughs> it's alien. It's okay. 1960s alien. Right. <laughs> well, at least have some alien like lettering on the on the walls or something. I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, and I never did quite fi- figure out what they were doing there. Yeah. Well, research. I mean. <laughs> right, but I mean. Trying to get that computer to work. Yeah, trying right. to get the computer to work that. Which. Yeah. Changes color right at the last minute when no one's looking. Yeah. And that's supposed to mean something. Who knows? You've, no, you've no. read ahead. You know that the, this may or may not factor into something later, right, kid? Um, don't I tell. don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> and, if, and if I ask you to give more details, you could be spoiling, spoiling things. All right. I'll find out in a week or two. At the <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, one of my last comments, back into the uh, framing story. 
uh, there on page seven, right before um, we go into the flashback, you see Matt Smith kind of gritting his teeth and uh, in pain while he's getting these new memories. And I was just kind of wondering if uh, he was doing his Shat impression. Uh, of exactly. Fame. Exactly. I was, by, I, I was thinking. I, I completely agree. This looks like more of a more of a Shat move to me. Right. Yeah, I've seen Matt Smith. Oh yeah. Kid make that agonized face and uh my last comment and it's more of just the timing of when this story is supposed to take place i mean because you had all of the next generation timeline to play with they're not doing anything that specifically says this has to be season seven this has to be season six whatever so i'm just wondering why they don't have wesley in here why they chose a timeline where they have just some sort of Andorian and Troy navigator. is in the purple uniform, so Wesley should be. Oh, so it's not seven, so it has to be before <laughs> six or late, late or earlier. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't he's, know why you couldn't just use not on duty. Why you couldn't use Roe or Wesley, somebody that we actually know, instead of just sticking. Oh, an Andorian. the traveler would be another uh, very similar life form. Mm-hmm. Travel through time, though. Oh, oh, you mean long lived? Well, we don't know that he doesn't travel through time. Well, we've seen him travel through far distances in space, right? He seems to travel through dimensions. Um, Right. Anyways, you're going off subject. Sorry, I just... I want to talk about why (laughs) Wesley's not there. Exactly. (laughs) Wesley, Traveler, similar life form. Who is the Andorian? Why is he there? Yeah. Why not pick somebody that we knew was actually in that spot at some point? Yeah. Maybe artists really like Andorians. Could be. Oh, that's right. There was an Andorian on Delta Four when it was being destroyed, wasn't there? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're right about that. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. It it should have Wesley. I'm not going to argue with that one. Or (laughs) Roe. I'm a big Roe fan. No, Wesley. Well, (laughs) you know, I I'm not that crazy about either one of them, so I'm fine (laughs) with it. (laughs) Maybe they thought they had too many characters, and they were like, "Well, if we just..." Don't put Roe or Wesley in here. We don't have to worry about doing, giving this person any. <laughs> well, lines. again, he could be. He's he's somewhere. He's off duty. He didn't really want to meet this person who travels through time and space. <laughs> anyway, Not, like, serious kid or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roe was on the show for a relatively short amount of time. Uh, at least Wesley was on the show longer. Right. And, but... and plus, if you had Wesley here, he would have already solved the problem by now. <laughs> <laughs> You're giving him too much credit. Single-handedly defeated the Borg once and for all. <laughs> On what do you base that that comment? <laughs> I've seen a few episodes. He <laughs> usually saves the day. <laughs> Only in the last five minutes, and we still got right, we still got right. six more true, issues. True, true. <laughs> Perhaps he pops up later. <laughs> yeah, we need to stretch this out more. <laughs> so let's keep Wesley off. <laughs> All right, um, and then lastly, I like the Cyberman, the Borg Cyberman leader. Kind of a cool look with the the Borg eyeball on the Cyberman head. Absolutely. The controller guy. Right. I think the Borg are in serious trouble when I see that. (laughs) Well, well. All all I can imagine are nanites waging a war. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You mean the cyborg or the Borg nanites? Well, it's in the newer series, they've both got some kind of nanites that powers their technology. So, uh, but, <laughs> but I do like that they've they've teamed them up because I always felt like the Borg were a bit of a 
Cybermen. Copy. Oh, yeah. A copy? Oh, yeah. Copy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean a improvement. <laughs> I mean, whoever wrote that was a fan of Doctor Who, as they should be, and thought, you know, what I loved were the Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> But let's, let's make them creepier. Them. Yeah. Let's make them creepier. Exactly. And we shouldn't say convert, because that's just weird. We'll say assimilate. Did they say convert in the... They uh... said convert, yeah. Well, he, cyber conversion, he, he brings up convert a lot, which makes them just sound like very aggressive Bible thumpers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the next issue we're going to cover today is Star Trek Next Generation, Doctor Who Assimilation 2, number 4. Uh, the writing staff is all the same. The only difference between issue 3 and issue 4 is that we now have a penciler by Gordon Purcell. So uh, J.K. Woodward is not doing it all himself anymore. Which, you know, to be honest, reading the book, I didn't even notice that it changed. Alright, so the uh, cover of issue 4, or at least cover A, uh, depicts... The upper half of the page is covered with a huge Cyberman reaching out to pluck a board cube from the sky. Uh, below this, this large picture, we see Worf, Data, Amy, the Doctor, and Riker looking down at the skeletal remains of a Borg drone. Cover B looks a lot like the Star Trek ongoing issues in that it has a giant Starfleet swoosh in the middle. Inside of the swoosh, we see the doctor uh, kind of poking his head out and holding his sonic screwdriver, pointing it right at the reader. And behind him, in the lower part of the swoosh, we see Geordi. Um, above the swoosh into the upper right-hand corner, we see a Cyberman's face. And then below, uh, we see a Borg cube. And then there's a cover RI, which is a black and white version of cover B. So the story starts on the Enterprise D in the lounge that we all know as 10 Forward. Guinan and the Doctor are introduced. They seem like kindred spirits. Both are able to sense the changes and ripples in the timeline. They both somehow have knowledge about the other one's universe. Guinan even knows about the TARDIS and maybe even understands what it does. The Doctor asks if she has the power to set things right. She says no. And then she asks him the same. Cheerfully, he states, of course I can. With that, Riker chimes in and contacts Picard, who had been watching this exchange. Riker has some troubling news. Everyone better make their way to the bridge post-haste. As the Doctor and Amy fly out of the bar, Picard asks Guinan if they can trust the Doctor. She assures him that they can. Later in the briefing room, Data informs the crew that the Borg Cybermen attack force was assimilating Kogan-5 when they had suddenly left the planet and headed away from Earth on a reverse course. Picard orders them to continue to Kogan-5, and the Doctor requests to go down to the planet as well. Riker is reluctant to have civvies on the mission, but he relents and agrees because he thinks that he may need his insight. Later, in the transporter room, Rory and Amy experience their first beaming, along with the Doctor, Riker, Data, and Worf. The pawns are very much impressed with this mode of transport. 
On the planet, the away team is attacked by security droids. These are just regular run-of-the-mill security droids and not Cyberman or Borg enhanced. Worf and Data and the Doctor each take one out with ease. The Doctor seems quite excited about this and he starts tinkering around with one of them. Before too long, the away team finds the dead bodies of both Cybermen and Borg drones. The crew then beam back up with the body of each villain and the Doctor brings along a security droid. Later in the medical bay, Crusher has analyzed the bodies and discovers that they were each killed by the other one. Confused, no one can understand why the two villains would start attacking each other. The Doctor soon gets the drone to play back some recordings it took that show the Cybermen start to attack the Borg in the middle of their joint assimilations. Worf contacts Picard and informs him that long-range sensors have picked up some destroyed ships. The crew make their way to the bridge to see a graveyard of destroyed Borg cubes and spheres. Picard's comment of good riddance can possibly sum up everyone's thoughts. The thought is not expanded on because the Enterprise is then hailed by the Borg Collective. They address Picard as Locutus and they request a truce. He tells them that there is no Locutus and he cuts off the communication. The Doctor asks Picard about helping the Borg repel the Cybermen from the Borg homeworld. He says that the Cybermen will not stop there. Picard defiantly tells the Doctor that there will be no truce and they will get no assistance from him. To be continued. Well, that was a manufactured upping of the conflict level to keep to bring you back to the next uh, and buy the next issue. I mean, I kind of understand what you know, Picard's reaction, he was assimilated by the Borg, but on the other hand, it seems kind of forced. Yeah. I kind of liked that, you know, maybe, you know, yes, he's a little tender about being referred to as Locutus by the Borg, but maybe it was also the doctor calling him Locutus that uh, really <laughs> kicked him off there in the last page. I'll definitely agree that you do not want to call Picard Locutus. Right. <laughs> he doesn't like it. Don't you be going there. I loved uh, Matt Smith, uh, or the doctor, when he says, Captain, or is it Locutus? You have to listen to me. I mean... (laughs) That was good. But uh, I did think that the uh, wreckage was a little one-sided. I mean, there's not a single Cyberman ship in all this destruction. I mean, I know they're supposed to be... (laughs) They're supposed to be powerful, but are they that powerful? They can take out... A whole and, fleet of right. Borg. Yeah. And, a, and a sneak attack is definitely going to get give you the edge, but is it going to give you a total domination of the of your former uh, partners? I I don't think so. I agree. I mean, the only thing I can think of is if the Cybermen somehow got all the Borg to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it. They they do have an advantage in that they have have. You know, they have all their information. If they've if they've been connected with the Borg, they know everything. Whereas, you know, the Borg are collective. So if the Cyberman connects with the Borg, he's going to know everything the Borg know. But are the Borg going to know everything the Cybermen know? Well, if they're truly assimilated, they would be. If they're assimilated with all of them, if he's assimilated with one of them, he's assimilated with all of them. On but the they're going to know everything that Cyberman knows. Mm-hmm but they're not going to know everything all the Cybermen know. So they have well, an Well, but do you know that? Collective. Ah. 
I mean, do do you know how interconnected the Cybermen are? And you might because you're a big fan. Oh yeah, I mean they're not a collective. But are they not? Okay. No. So they, they still can have... fight. They can fight each other. It, you know, it's happened before. Hmm. There you go. Kind Good of Dalek style, where. <laughs> but and, and you know that's why they have the cyber controller, and he controls everybody through those little earpieces. The pe- humans, but again, humans. Ah. Can be so the controller. Right. Has a connection to all the other Cybermen. Because he has right. to control them. Right. But if you but try to go for a drone, you're not going to get all the uh, information about the Cybermen. But what if you got the information from the controller? Right. But what well, if the controller doesn't have all the information? Yeah. So there could I mean, be... It's not like the queen, the board queen, where she is the hive. Right. Whereas there could the be multiple... The controller is merely a... I mean, they're more like remote-controlled drone, drones. So there's you know? more than one controller, so, but there's only one hive mind. Right. Mm. Good point. Well, however they did it, they obviously have a clear advantage. And the Borg are running scared, or so it seems at the end, because they're asking for help of the Federation. Come on. (laughs) So, however they're doing it, obviously the Borg are running scared. Right. Which, you know, I I didn't really like, because I always... I don't like to see my Borg (laughs) depower. Oh, you you think it's a trap? (laughs) That's a good point. It's a trap! (laughs) <laughs> and now I I personally think Borg Cyberman link up would just be completely devastating because they both have the technology to to kind of take over people without actually being there. If you actually put it all together, they could send out those nanites just in the air. Yeah, they just beam them down. Stick them in their ear. And oh like, right, right. And have control of everybody. Right, but that would make it too easy. You don't easy. even need to fight. I mean, why, why bother? People don't even need to know you're coming. Yeah, that was one of the things I did not like about First Contact is that it introduced the nanites where they just injected people with those yeah. little tubes. Yeah, it looked cool. Right. And in, in theory, it, it's it's interesting. But then to just have those nanites running through their body and That's assimilating cool. them that way takes out the, you know, when you think about what... Picard had to go through and what all those other people went through when their arms are getting chopped off and yeah. it's all drills and high, you know those needles and stuff. It's yeah, now it's just that little their humanity shot being stripped away little by little. Yeah, absolutely. now it's just a little shot and you're just like, ooh, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. And again, it it makes them a little too powerful. Right. I mean, it'd be like if you introduce trans warp beaming or something. Ouch. <laughs> Which would effectively end the way the Federation right. travels around. Absolutely. You mean trans warp beaming or trans? Oh yeah, trans warp beaming. Yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. Because we should get some trans warping here pretty soon if they're going to go to the board homeworld. Right. Right. <laughs> but hopefully not trans warp beaming. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be faster. So, did you guys notice any difference in the art artwork? Um, now that we have a new penciler. I didn't. Um, I, I didn't, but now I'm just comparing some of the pages. I'm opening up three and comparing it to four. And, uh, you know, the style is definitely the same. But, uh, you know, looking at it closely, I can see some differences. Can you? But I would have never even thought to look if you hadn't pointed it out. Hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have noticed if I didn't read that. Yeah. I'll be honest, I don't really pay much attention to the artwork, so... <gasps> it's the best one. What? I just read the bubbles. 
<laughs> really? That's at least 50% of the experience. <laughs> <laughs> the artwork. I'm more of a book person, so, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm more of a book person. I, I, I find the artwork <laughs> distracting. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to imagine everything in my mind rather than exactly. having it drawn out for me. Exactly. <laughs> oh boy, you're well, the book you of the mind. You hear the type. voices. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Missy. This is comic book review. It's true. Not not the science fiction book of the week club. <laughs> so there you go. I, I'm assuming you don't watch movies with the so. just the sound, right? Oh. <laughs> you don't turn the visuals off? Right, but at least the pictures are moving. <laughs> also, these oh, okay. These don't have enough motion for you? But but you've got to admit, subtitles <laughs> movie, subtitled movies are a little bit harder to follow as far as watching the the movie. Yeah. You can sure. read the subtitles, yeah, but you but miss a lot of When you're the reading picture. a comic book, you don't have... It's not going to go to the next scene until you're ready. Right. You're but good and ready. Then I forget what they've written in the last bubble. <laughs> If I stand and stare at the picture. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Uh, short attention span, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so. I, if I could just make a general comment about this particular issue. This particular issue is, uh, I think, far inferior entertainment-wise to the previous issue. Just because all this is kind of... This is moving the narrative along. You know, okay, now we find out that they're fighting each other. Okay, major important point to the overall story arc. But it's like, you know, there's really nothing much going on in this issue that really stands out in my mind. Yeah, you know? agreed. It's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it, it just moves the story along, but there's nothing that makes you go, oh, that's a cool part, you know. Right, yeah. and then there's some artificial action when they beam down to the planet and the, True. you know, the cameras, the camera droids or whatever those are supposed to be just happened to like take a couple of pot shots at them right but there was no real danger and they weren't at all associated with either cyberman or borg so right so so that's the cogens security droids is that right 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 which why did, weren't they around earlier but whatever okay <laughs> when all the people were being taken so exactly I yeah i didn't like that i mean it was just kind of artificial just so that the Doctor would be able to shoot something with a sonic screwdriver. I was say, and now he's actually using the sonic on, you know, as an offensive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it looks like an offensive weapon because right. the next gen folks are, you know, hey, I'm using my phaser to do something here. And then it's like the doctor feels under pressure to do something. So there you go. Right. Well, uh, he's, he's got the phaser and the, and the tricorder all in one with his screwdriver. Well, that's another thing. It's a sonic screwdriver. You know, you yes. don't see sound. You right. know, and it looks like there's a there's a beam coming out of yes. it or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. That's... We're on page eleven. If anybody's no, sorry about that. Yeah, page eleven <laughs> during the attack, the sentry right. drone attack or whatever. Yeah, so I can I can understand him being able to disrupt and knock out the drone with the sonic screwdriver. Right. And you just need to show some sort of visual representation of that, but it does look like it's shooting a phaser. Yeah. Right. And, of course, you do need those sentry drones because, in the end, it's going to give the dispassionate third-party view of what was going on, and they were fighting each other. So you need it from that standpoint, too. But, uh, yeah, that shouldn't be... They should have shown sound waves or something, you know. Right. Rather than a beam. Although, when Captain Jack uses his sonic gun or whatever, doesn't it show, like, a little beam coming out when he gives uh, the Ninth Doctor a hard time for having a sonic screwdriver? 
Yeah, Boy, you got a good memory. When, I, I don't remember that one. I think it was the World War Three episode, or World. War, I don't remember, but it was the one where Captain Jack and the Doctor meet for the first time, and Captain Jack has a sonic gun, and right. he kind of gives the Ninth Doctor a hard time about. Yeah. You're using well, your sonic you powers use, on okay, a so, screwdriver. Yeah, you you won't use a gun, but your screwdriver is pretty much the same thing. <laughs> well, no, but I think he just gives him a hard time that he created a a real weapon out of his. Right. And I think when he shot it, it showed lasers coming out, didn't it? Or something. Probably. I don't know. It's been a while. Okay, so so the first time we saw Captain Jack was in World War II, right? Right. Okay, so that was World War II. I don't remember the rifle, quite frankly. But well, well, maybe when, I think it was just a handgun of some sort. It's been a while, so don't quote me on it. Okay, cool. But the main point is... Uh, well, it it showed a beam coming out of it. I think so, but okay, again, but it was supposed to be a sonic device. Right, exactly. Ah, well, there you go. Artistic <laughs> license. But anyways, to your point, I agree with you 100%. This story had, you know, basically the beginning was interesting with Guinan, but didn't necessarily need to be there. It was just a nice little character moment. Yeah. And then the end, finding out that the the Borg had been betrayed and are actually requesting help that's really all you needed out of these this whole issue right and they could apparently have been while Guinan was talking to the doctor Amy was changing her clothes I'd just like to point that out <laughs> good point <laughs> oh yeah okay so she's got a blue little little kind of jacket outfit purple something uh-huh. And then by the end of the well, discussion, in the last issue, she was wearing this stupid pink oh okay jacket and this fascinator thing with a veil. She like oh, well, that was because she was on the uh, w- when they were on the right. holiday. But like I said, she's he walks in to talk to Guinan at the end of this issue. And that's what she's wearing. Oh, so on the okay, bridge, but... she had that, and then by the time she got the guy in, she was wearing... She's not... Without the hat. Yeah, yeah. She's right. actually already changed. Right? Yeah, and that happened at the end of last issue. Yeah. Right. Right. Because she's got more contemporary outfit on yeah, by I the forgot, final page. I forgot she yeah. was Good wearing point. her, <laughs> she's her just, dress. She just popped into the TARDIS and changed her clothes, I guess, at some point. Yeah. The holodeck's <laughs> on the way things. to 10 forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and of course, not to leave not to leave Rory out, but he's gone from holding, right. you know, having the suit on to having yes. his famous um, Back to the Future uh, <laughs> puffy jacket. It's not just a puffy jacket; it's a puffy vest. Right. Well, even the, yeah, more it's a like puffy, Back to the Future. It's a puffy vest. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Good point. <laughs> the garment was a vest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Is that some kind of life preserver you've got? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I wonder if they did that on purpose because it's another time travel. It could be, and, and apparently, I doubt that. Apparently, the original <laughs> DeLorean in Back to the Future was supposed to be a refrigerator, which I'm just was saying, it? refrigerator TARDIS. Ah, just was it really? I think that would be a lot less cool. Yeah. I think they, I think <laughs> oh, they made the right decision going for the DeLorean. <laughs> But for Dr. Who Ooh, fit. Maytag. Yes. You, you picked a good one, Doc. <laughs> I, I Another tra- time-traveling box. Yeah. Well, the the phone booth in Bill and Ted wasn't yeah, enough? Absolutely. So, it would have been funny. That is funny. I did not know that. Yeah. But it tells I you right there that, the again, Back to Future must have, must have had some Dr. Who fans. Yeah, sure. Right. I mean, it's right. science fiction. A lot of science absolutely. fiction people... Enjoy Doctor Who. Yeah, 
There's a lot of derivative stuff since it was such a trailblazer. Absolutely. And of course, we've said this before, Star Trek itself is a rehash of multiple 1950s uh, movies. Right. So, um, all quite derivative. Yeah. So, uh, my last comment is I really like that the pawns got beamed for the first time and that they actually (laughs) (laughs) thought it was something kind of special. Yeah. Uh, That was pretty funny to me. Yeah. I I thought it was pretty funny that they actually put them on the transporter pad, disassembled them, (laughs) and reassembled them on a planet's surface, and they didn't even bother telling them what was going to happen to them. (laughs) I thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) Absolutely. Because if I was Rory or something... And somebody told me what was going to be going on. I would be having a Doc McCoy moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty funny. You gonna uh, do I'd... what to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> do you have a shuttlecraft or we'll, something? We'll, we'll just get on the TARDIS and meet you down there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do. I do like her comment. Why don't you have that? Well, because I've got a TARDIS, I can do the exact same thing. <laughs> Well, we've we've seen in Doctor Who episodes where they do have transmat type technology. Yeah, just absolutely. the Doctor doesn't have it. Right, but again, you wouldn't need it. You've got a TARDIS. You'd have to go into the TARDIS to get on the transporter anyway, and you can transport the whole TARDIS with you. Yeah, but half time he doesn't know how to control granted. it, so he wouldn't never actually get there. Right. <laughs> Plus, when well, you like, get there, somebody steals it, and it's like you can't yeah. find it again. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sticks out, but you know. The doctor not being able to control it, I don't always think that's uh, true. I think a lot of times he is controlling it. He just implies, oh, gee, we were supposed to go somewhere else, but we ended up in the middle of a dangerous situation. How did that happen? <laughs> or on a holodeck. <laughs> right. <laughs> right where I was needed. I just can't imagine how that keeps happening. Exactly. I to take you on vacation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, so you think it's an act? I, I think it might be. Now, I think there's been times in the past when he didn't have control over it, but I think he has much more control now. He's had a lot of time. He's had a lot of practice. Yes. <laughs> You'd think he'd have it down by now. Right. I really like the, uh, that episode with River where she does it for the first time, and he's like, why didn't it make the noise? Oh, right. She's like, yeah. what noise? You know, the... You leave the parking brake on, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the noise. <laughs> so again, he's done it every episode since. So right, right. Pretty give a pretty good idea that he might know more than he pretends. Well, yeah. but the master had his TARDIS. It made the same noise, so I don't yes. mind the parking brake thing. <laughs> Master's also an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, he keeps losing, doesn't he? So yes. <laughs> I, I, my theory on Guinan is she's Romana. Romana? Oh, <laughs> oh, you really? think she's a? I uh, she she seems like a Time Lord, and and I've thought that before this, that she she had very uh, Time Lord esque qualities. Really? Oh yeah. Just because in like yesterday's Enterprise that she kind of knows about the timeline changing, right? Mm. Well, she's wild well. beyond her years. Even yeah. though she has, and she's got a lot of years. She's seen all these. Her it, race is extinct. Yeah. Can I just mention something about Guinan, since you're on the topic? Yeah. I find Guinan to be rather annoying. <laughs> so she always seems to, to know so much about everything. But then whenever she tells people about it, she's like really nebulous about it. 
Right. It's like, can't you just answer a question for once? Absolutely. And then in the <laughs> end, she doesn't. She's not able to actually do a damn thing. Right. It's like she can tell you nebulously about things you wouldn't know about any other way, but in the end, she won't give you a straight answer, and she won't be able to do a darn thing about the situation anyway. Right. So. Well, and she's basically Picard's own personal counselor because he's too good yeah. to go to actual counselor for counseling. Well, so, well, <laughs> guy yeah. will counsel him. Good point. And plus, I don't think uh, Deanna would be able to tell him much about the uh, cosmic ribbon anyway. Right. But, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And that and that's another thing. I, I really hate it in Generations that they brought up her, had Character. her in the in there, and mm-hmm. she was a refugee ship from yeah. from where? From her planet that was being attacked by the Borg? Supposedly. And they made it all the way to Earth before anybody saw them? It's just... Yeah. yeah. That, that, to and me... Then, Oh, that's the part you didn't like? How about the fact that a shard of her... Think of me as an echo of, of Guinan. It's like, oh my god. Speaking of things we don't like about the next yeah, generation. I, don't, I really don't like Generations. Once once Kirk dies, to me, the, the, the Generations movie just goes downhill from there. Yeah, well, I, do they, like, I do like it up until he dies, though. Well, they totally redid the ending, which I'm sure you guys are well aware of. Right, because the Shat died in a different way. Yeah, he got shot in the back by... Uh, Soren. By Soren, right. Right. And then that whole thing is really rough with the rickety bridge and everything. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, but that's not the part I have a problem with. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the two hours before that. <laughs> well, okay. There's lots of bad things about Generations, but there's oh, lots of good things, Oh, and when I said Kirk too. dies, I meant the first time Kirk dies on the Enterprise B. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh, that's, that time. That's where I stopped liking the show. Oh, at the beginning. Yes. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I should have been more clear on that. <laughs> yeah, and how about the fact that basically all that dialogue between Scotty and uh, Chekhov is basically essentially unchanged dialogue that was supposed to be Spock and McCoy. Right. But whatever. Yep. All right. Let's back, go back to this one. Anybody have any comments about this issue? Issue four. I have given all my comments, which really weren't that many. Yeah, same here. I didn't have that much to say about this one. Yeah. I still love the artwork. I love the air airbrushed look. The airbrushed, it, watercolored, yeah, yeah. artsy-fartsy yeah. look? There you go. Love I it. I like it. I think it's pretty. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I'm not that enamored, but I do like it also. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think a few times it's a little uh, better than others, but right. I like it because you'll have one panel to me super realistic, and then the next panel will be kind of washed out. But right. again, that's just the style that it it I, I, it works for me. Cool. All right. Anything else? No, but I am just looking forward to uh, Picard's amazing change of heart. Highly likely to happen at the beginning of the next issue. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that the doctor is going to somehow talk him into it. I haven't read it yet. Right. Yes. It's just, it's going to be just, I, I predict it's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as usual, the doctor will save the day. <laughs> no, Picard will save the day. Well, Picard will save the day per instruction by the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 
I think uh, like a one. No, I do. I do love Picard. I'm not saying anything against Picard, but you know. oh, but you're you're if clearly follow, a doctor. Uh, <laughs> I am. You're, you're clearly a stronger doctor fan than Star, than Star I Trek. I can tell. I'll admit it. You, you can't like one, one more than the other. The doctor. Sure, you can. Love. I can. But when they're together, sure you they can. have to have equal love. Right. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Next Generation would be my second. Yeah. So you've read the rest of the books. I'm my, I'm just curious how they're going to get to the Borg homeworld. Are they going to try to somehow mix in Voyager since it's supposed to be in the Delta Quadrant? So uh, I, I'm pretty pretty excited about these next couple of books. Yeah. Don't be too excited. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just get disappointed. Oh, All right. No. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then we'll just uh, close up this issue or this episode. Next week, if things work out well, we're going to have another guest host. So that'll be interesting. And um, don't really have much else to say. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. You're welcome. It has been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Yes. It's, uh, this is uh, not too often do we get to have a lady guest star, although it has happened. Before. You're, our, you're our third, by the way. All right. <laughs> and we've had six guest hosts, so it's about even 50-50 split. 50-50. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> we've had one other female uh, we had, guest host. We had Jamie talk about the manga, and we had Casey talk about oh, the um, right. Voyager. So okay. three. Yeah. Okay. I stand so, corrected. Darn right, Ken. <laughs> 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 All right. So, thanks again for uh, for joining us, and keep reading the books, even though I know you don't like to look at the pictures. Well, I do have to figure out how they get out of this. Yes. <laughs> how will they? Because hopefully yeah. Wesley will show up and save the day. <laughs> yeah, because quite frankly, I think they need that. Because uh, quite frankly, I don't know if they'll be able to get out of this one. Absolutely. Maybe Adric could come in and Adric. You'd have both the boy genius. <laughs> Oh, and do a calculation and save the day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you liked this stuff when you were younger. So were you about the same age as Wesley as was? was? Yes. So that's kind I mean, of what he was your I think he's about your conduit. age, isn't he? So he was just a few years older than me. Uh, well, absolutely. that explains it. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was he was my connection. Yeah. I mean, and, and I always had that. I always liked the boy genius type, you know, characters. I was a Sequest fan. That's what <laughs> also was Jonathan Brandis and the Talking Dolphin, you know. That's great. You know, <laughs> it's good that that uh, that there are fans of that because I don't think there were that many. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, little did I know that uh, the rest of the world was was screaming for his death. I mean, because <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world's not teenage girls. <laughs> they were so <laughs> yes. <laughs> Preteen, preteen, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, and, and I'm happy to hear that both characters did it for you. Because um, I always found that Wesley was just pandering to a younger <laughs> audience. So they wanted to get, you know, they, they wanted to cover their bets. And they wanted to have a character that the younger audience could uh, connect with, could relate to. Yes. So it's good to see it worked. Yes. But when I was watching bridged, it, I was a little older, that <laughs> and that, that's wonderful, and I just thought it was like, what the hell do they have this kid on on Picard's bridge for? 
It's like, right. he doesn't need to be here. This is pandering. <laughs> they didn't have any kids on Taz. I don't. <laughs> right. I don't get it. Oh, sure they did. They had Chekhov. Come on. <laughs> he oh, no. No, he wasn't really a kid. They just pretended he was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. That is why he was there, because they wanted to have a Beatles-type yeah. character on the show. And it worked. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, right. but but he wasn't a, a teenager. No. <laughs> And then the fact that uh, that the new Chekhov, the reboot Chekhov, is is younger and supposed to be like a really young guy, younger than Chekhov ever was, the re- the original one. I thought that was kind of a, again trying to get to a younger audience. Well, right. and I always felt like Chekhov was supposed to be younger than he really was. They always played him up to be um, oh. innocent and naive and. I yeah, I mean they made yeah. him to be a. A teen heartthrob type character. Right. Know, he was supposed to be like a teen heartthrob, but not a teen. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But that's that's the that's the market they were shooting for with him. Right. I'm sure they were. But, but obviously again, he was in his twenties. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they had the whole child labor laws and stuff. They couldn't have a real teenager there. Yeah. Oh, like they did in Lost in Space. I was kidding. <laughs> okay. That was before the child labor laws went into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, I guess we really need to wrap this up. Finish the episode. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttv.com comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here